when I was about uh, 10, I think, my birthday, my 10th birthday, uh, we did something that we had never done. Now, at this point in time in my life, uh, we had moved from uh, a trailer park to uh, Acre with the same trailer. Now, uh, I've heard jokes about this. I'll tell you one. Isn't it kind of wild that I don't know what happened with like the trailer park people were like, you guys got to get out of here. Like they kicked us out of the park. That's not exactly what happened. But we moved out there and then we have this acre of land that we would just explore, me and my brothers, brother. And uh, my 10th birthday, what we did was all the rage in 1994 was paintball guns. And so a few of us could buy them. I got one for my birthday. Uh, and what we did is just threw a big paintball party at my house to eat some cake and shoot each other. That was the goal. And we did that. Now, we all got together. I'm 10 years old. I'm sure there was adult present. I don't remember one because what happened was uh, I had goggles. I had my paintball gun. And most of other people did. But then one of our friends, Travis, didn't have goggles, a mask, pants, or... <laughs> or a gun and so he said Travis hey man here's some shades and here's a slingshot and a ziploc bag of 20 paintballs let's go Travis You're, he was like the you know he grew up to be the linebacker he was like a real stubby dude so we're like go for it Travis you'll be fine well Travis was not fine because one time he turns the corner around this shed and someone just instinctively five feet away pulls the trigger. Well, they shoot him in the face, in the face, right in the lip. And Travis became Travis, I won't say his name. He just became Travis Duckbilled Platypus Carpenter. That's who he became because his lips swole up so big uh, that he couldn't talk. He couldn't eat the cake. He just sat there in shame as we kept playing. Now, I say this to say, this is like my first intro of like capture the flag or any like, hey, we're really going to do this, fight one another, and who wins get the spoils of war. Now, we had not had any bet, we're 10. We didn't have any money, we were 10. But the spoils of war that day was like a clean face. Like I got to go to elementary school on Monday with a normal face. Travis did not, right? Now, in this text, in Ephesians 4, there's this idea of the spoils of war. You don't get it unless you understand what he's referring to. When he goes in verse 7 to, when he ascended a high, he took the captives captives, he gave gifts to people. That is from Psalm 68, and that whole psalm is about God being the divine warrior who's defeated his enemies. He's ascended up to his throne, and then Paul's saying, that's Jesus. And he has won the victory, and then he's giving out the spoils of war. Okay? That's where we're at this morning. Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible, grab one underneath one of the chairs. Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 16. I want you to see it. Verse 7, now grace, Ephesians 4, verse 7, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to people. Now that, that's uh, argued a bit, people are going to say, well, go back to Psalm 68, didn't it say that, that men gave gifts to God? Well, Paul's saying 
There's other translation. This is what it actually truly means. The fulfillment of this verse is Christ, that he ascended and he gave gifts to people. Verse 9, but what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Wow. So, he's saying he descended, Jesus did, to earth, took on the form of a servant, became a man, and obeyed to the point of death. But then... The Father raised him to his right hand where he's exalted and he reigns right now. He's the reigning, defending, ruling champ of the cosmos. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and rules, reigns, and intercedes for us. That's what he's saying, that he descended, he ascended. But when he ascended, he gave gifts to people. Now, throughout this letter and also the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul calls the church to be united, not divided. To be holy, not worldly. To be loving, not selfish. All grounded in the truth and the reality of who God is. And so if I'm going to kind of summarize a bit of what we've, where we've been, here's, here's where Paul has been, where he's taken us. He said, because God is one, put divisions to death and keep the unity of the Spirit. That was last week. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. And because God is holy, put sin to death and worship Him. You see that in chapter 1 and 2, but then it really connects to chapter 5. We're about to get there. And because God is love, put selfishness to death and actually love your brothers and sisters. And then here where we're at is because God is present. That He's in our Midst that we're to be present and build up one another. So the church is Jesus and therefore should reflect his nature and character. That's why he gives these gifts to people. Jesus gives, the literally translation is grace gifts. That's what he does. These are gifts of grace. Charisma. Charismata for the plural, or mata, if you're Texan. But he goes on also to say that these are manifestations of grace. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, 1 Peter 4, he talks about them as spiritual gifts. Now, what we should see here is this. We just got told that oneness permeates all that we do. Do you recall? Verses 6 and 7, you can see it. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one Father, right? Everything that we do, everything who we are, how we act and operate, we're all permeated with oneness because we've been united to Jesus and to another by Jesus. 
But then he goes here to say, you've got all this wonderful oneness, but also Jesus has made you wildly diverse. Wildly diverse and amazingly united. Now, diverse in what way? Well, he's not talking about any age here. He's not talking about ethnicity right here. He's talking about these grace gifts that he's given his church. Wildly diverse. Why? Why does he do this? Verses 12 through 13 says, for us to grow. That's why. The spoils of war, of Jesus' war against sin and Satan and death, when he defeated them on the cross and coming out of the grave in his resurrection, what he then gave you from the spoils of that victory are these grace gifts. Why? So that we can use them. So why? We can all grow together. Keep growing together. So the giver gives gifts so that we can grow. That's what's happening here. Now, in talking about spiritual gifts, let's just talk about the name. Because grace gifts, I said that. I said manifestations of grace, and I said spiritual gifts, okay? So what are we talking about? The most used term by Paul is charisma, which is singular. I told you that charismata is plural. And that's where we get the word charismatic. Now, charisma means a gracious work of God or something God's grace has granted. So in Romans 6, eternal life is called a charisma, a grace gift. In 2 Corinthians 1.11, deliverance from physical death is communicated, spoken of as a spiritual gift, a grace gift. Even celibacy in 1 Corinthians 7 is a charisma, a grace gift. So what he's about to speak of are gifts of God's grace. They are given by God to serve the body of Christ, us. But when I say gifts, I think we start thinking more Privileges. They're less privileges, more responsibilities. Responsibilities. But knowing you and then having these conversations for five years in this church, not to speak of the however before at the paradox, is to know that you have seen, experienced, witnesses, witnessed abuses of these grace gifts. If not in person, if at the least on the screen. But what we've said time and time again is the same thing we'll say about all the gifts of God is that the proper response to abuse of anything that is good and right and perfect is not to neglect that, but the proper use of that. That's what we're going for. Just because there's been abuses, just because there's been excesses, just because there's been terrible things done, we go back to Paul and saying, 1 Corinthians 14, their, their gifts are wild, but he doesn't throw water on the fire of their flames, of their gifts. He says, no, use your gifts in the right way. I'm actually going to throw more gas on it to say, pursue it, pursue it, go after it. But then exercise them in the way that God intends because it's for us to grow, not for us to show off. They're not for our appearance or our status or our power or our popularity. They are spiritually energized potential to minister to the body of Christ. By communicating the power 
and knowledge and love of Jesus. So they're not to be hoarded, these gifts. Or even put on display. As in, look at me. Look what I have. Look at my trophy. Look what the Spirit uh, has given me over and against you. No. They're to be used, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, for the common good. What he says here is for our growth. For our growth. For our growth. So as a church, we each have individual gifts that are empowered by the Spirit so we may serve one another for our joint maturation. So what I've tried to communicate this in the past is this. It means when we gather, when we're here on Sundays in our community groups, in our friendship over coffee, all those places, when we show up, when we gather as the people of God, it's like Christmas. You should show up not empty-handed, but ready to serve, to give one of these grace gifts to your brothers and sisters. Why? So they might grow. It is as bizarre to show up to a housewarming party with no bottle of wine as it is to show up with another Christian with no gift ready to give them. What, what are you doing with them then? What are we talking about? What is this time for? If it isn't exercising the gifts that God has given us so that we both mutually, whoever's involved, are growing more and more into the image of Jesus. So I'm going to come prayed up, prayed up, ready to go, expectant for what is the Spirit going to give me so that I can hand this to this brother so that there are sisters that are built up, encouraged, consoled. That's 1 Corinthians 14.3. That's what I want. It's like Christmas. And if you're like me, the, the old cliche rings true. Like, I actually do like giving gifts more than receiving them. I like to see my kids light up. Don't you? That friend just, what? Like, I said that six months ago, and you, you remembered, and then you actually thought of me, and you went back and got this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I, I want to see people's faces light up as we mutually bring gifts to the whole body and we're all mutually built up. Let me go down to verse 16 real quick. From him, Jesus, the whole body, us. So Jesus is the head, we're the body. We're the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the pro proper working of each individual part I, I just i feel convicted in this for us i didn't write any of this down but let me just think about this for a second i think many times we are quick to assess what's not here, what's missing. Always looking for that missing piece to be the discipler in our life that builds us up, that mentors us, that gives us, you know, the key six nuggets of whatever so that we're like, oh, we'll grow. And I get that, and I get the Paul and Timothy relationship, but 
a mentor is not the primary context of discipleship for you. The local church, the community, the family is. Do you hear me? That means every ligament, everyone what? The proper working of each individual part. So I said last week that, that uh, the church is, is what? It's like a hospital with a in-service rehab center, but also it's a gym, but it's also a mission post. It's hard to, to reduce what the church is. But you start thinking about this, and I can say, hey, that's what it looks like for us as a body to be in the gym, for us to be growing, means that, that we all are trying to, we're, we're trying to serve the body. We're trying to grow. We're, we're, we're in this together. We can't have, you can't have a torn ACL and keep going to the gym. Does that make sense? You can't have multiple members of our church that are wiling out, falling apart, broken, tore up. It's, it's not working together. You also can't be like a, a spectator in this game. You don't show up, well, <laughs> I hope you don't show up at the gym to watch people work out. You show up to do it, right? But it is weird. It's just as weird as people being a part of a church but not actually being a part and spectating the whole time. Okay, all right. But do you hear me? Like we're all gonna jump in and do this together and bring our gifts, our presence, CE, because that's what Jesus is doing. I keep saying gifts, but let me be very clear. The gifts are more about the Spirit's presence then presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E -E, right? Him being here with us. Because what Paul says in 1 Corinthians is that these grace gifts, whatever they are, we're about to show you all 21 of them. But whatever they are in your life, they are the Spirit of God going present in our midst, manifesting self in our midst. If you're like, where's the Spirit I don't see him at work. Look for all the gifts in your brothers and sisters that are actively brought to the table and serving and building up. That's the spirit present with us. All right, let's look at the gifts. From Romans 12, from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, and 1 Peter 4. Let's just look at all 21, okay? Now, I'll say this as I go. These are in no particular order. Also, Paul and no one in the Bible says that this is an exhaustive list. Now, that may mess with you a little bit, right? But there's authors. There's people that have said there's maybe other gifts that just weren't mentioned. Uh, and they say, like, maybe the gift of intercession, you know, intercessory prayer for people. Like, oh, that's a fair suggestion in my mind. Maybe the, uh, the gift of deliverance. I'm like, yeah, it be a fair Fair one in my mind. But this is what we have, okay? So don't you want to see this? In no particular order. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, exhort to warn, to encourage also, contribute, giving, leading, mercy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, the gift of faith, the gifts of healings. Uh, that doesn't actually need to be parentheses that should be an S all the time. I'm sorry, but it's always spoken of gifts of healings, miracles, distinguishing or discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, 
apostleship, helping, administrating, evangelism, pastoring and shepherding, pastoring and teaching. You just saw a lot from Ephesians 4 at the end, right? These from those uh, uh, passages are the list of gifts. Now, I put them all in one space because uh, I think we love breaking them up. <laughs> we love distinguishing, hey, these are like role gifts in Ephesians 4. Oh, and these are manifestation ga- uh, gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 14. And, and these are motivational gifts in Romans 12. And here, here, here it is. I think it's a false trichotomy. <laughs> it's a false dichotomy. There's, it's, not, it's unnecessary. Do you know why? Because in all these places, the Bible speaks of, of the same. They're all, all manifestations of God's grace to us to build us up, to grow together for the common good. So they're all the same. Not, not this exact. My, we shouldn't distinguish and try to separate like, oh, this means this, this means this, this means this. Uh, uh, Sam Storm says it this way. Spiritual gifts are God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Here we go. Spiritual gifts must never be viewed deistically as if God out there has sent something to us down here. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, and human love. They are manifestations of the Spirit. They are the presence of the Spirit himself coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression in the way we do ministry. That's why every time Dan or whoever closes us with a benediction says, we're not done. Don't uh, uh, speed off to Luby's. Like, stay around because it's ministry time. Don't speed off to 1998 because I think they're all closed, right? <laughs> uh, first cafeteria, maybe Amy. First. Um, <laughs> why? Because we're going to minister. This is where we do this. This is where these things happen on Sundays. We are not content with singing and hearing the Bible. We want to do the stuff. We want the ministry happening. You see this encouragement and teaching and shepherding and exhorting all this happening together which means we collectively as a body are maturing more and more in the image of Jesus last week we saw that we are on the same road on the same road going in the same direction that's what he said and this week we see then on that road we were just perpetually caring for another and trying to help another stay on this road together in the same direction as Jesus with whatever gifts we have. Jesus gives gifts for our growth. And this, he says, some shepherds, some teach, some are sent for new works, some evangelize, some receive words for the body but all to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're all to get our hands dirty in cultivating one another. This is a 
completely different concept than is often experienced in the church, particularly in the West, where we have money enough to give someone so that they can serve as myself, and then we treat it if it's a garden, like we pay that person to be the gardener and we enjoy the garden. And that's just not the picture. If we're gonna stick with that analogy, I'm here to tell you about gardening and to help you be a better gardener and then you do the gardening. Like we're here to equip what, so that we all do the work of the mystery. We are all pitching in and helping because we know a, a one-on-100, a one-on-200 relationship only goes so far, but a 100 altogether working together and serving does something different. Healing serves the sister with that chronic pain and builds up our faith in the merciful God. Words of wisdom and knowledge help and instruct others in specific questions and situations. Demons being cast out. Demons being cast out is for our good. Having a crew of people that have the gift of faith and seem overly optimistic is good for others of us who are doubting and skeptical. Skeptical. All these various gifts are for the common good. Now, as we talk about this, think about this. If you are jealous or feel in fear because you don't have a certain gift, then you'll not ever give your actual gift. It will stunt you, cripple you from actually serving the body if you're like, well, I don't have this. Or I want that and don't have it yet. You will then won't actually give what you do have. You'll become a spectator instead of a player in this beautiful game directed by the Spirit. And the same is to be said if we as a people really value one or two primarily. In the West, we value education. So it can be easy for us to drift towards teaching as the primary gift, right? He started... He started with apostles, went to prophets, went to evangelists. The last one is teachers, but for us, we go straight there, right? And then if we don't have this gift, we think we don't bring anything to the table. Wrong. 1 Corinthians 14 says that the Spirit of God has sovereignly gifted each gift for the good of the body. And whatever he's given you, we need to experience Please don't keep it to yourself. So some of you are jealous or inferior. Some of you are on the other side, and you're self-righteous. You're proud and feel mature because of your gift, and you see it as your identity. Like, I, I can do this. I have this gift. This is why I feel really secure in myself, because I have this thing. Thank God I'm not like these people that don't have it. Your identity is wrapped up in God's love for you in Christ, not your particular gift. And don't be proud of something you didn't earn. It's a gift. It's a gift. One more thing as we pursue these gifts and ask for these gifts, uh, I'd ask us to monitor our heart's motivation. 
be certain that your longing for this sort of gifting is your love for the welfare of others and not the notoriety or attention that such a gift might bring you. Now, the classic practical question here is, how do I know what gift I have? How can I be sure? What does this look like? Before you run online and search it, let's just stay here and pay attention to where your passions and giftedness collide. Pray and ask the Lord what he's given you. Ask a brother or sister in your community or your life. Or if you're, or if you're a mature believer, maybe speak what you see into a younger brother or sister's life. What gift do you see in them? But then Sam Storm says this. If we spend less time searching to identify our spiritual gifts and more time actually praying and giving and helping and teaching and serving and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we will walk headlong into our gifting without ever knowing what happened. God will more likely meet us with his gifts in the midst of trying to help his children than he ever would while we're taking a spiritual gifts analysis test. And so, my point is this, because the spirit of God gives grace gifts, I want us to know them and then use them for our joint maturation. Like the spirit is here empowering us to serve one another for our growth. Thank you, Lord. You, I don't think I'm painting it well enough. What I'm saying is, nope, what the Bible is saying is, Jesus defeated all your enemies, won the complete victory, and then gave you gifts just because you're his people, and they're gifts that we get to use so that we get to be more like him throughout the rest of our lives. What? Do you hear me? That's what he's done. I don't know how else to express his graciousness and his generosity to us. It's like, oh no, don't even show up to the battle. I'm going to win it. And then everything that I win over this victory, I'm going to give to you and it's going to be for your good. <laughs> And then he says, how will this affect us? Verse 14, in closing, he says, we'll be no longer little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted in it together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. No longer pushed by the waves of cultural pressure to now believe this or now go this way, but by speaking the truth in love. That literally means confessing the truth. That, that's going back to the, the sound doctrine that Paul has unpacked from chapter 1 to 3 of that this is who Jesus is. So by speaking the truth, speaking the truth, the gospel message to ourselves, to one another in love, we're built up and we stay away from being knocked over. I, I remember one time going to the lake 
and getting in a kayak and hanging out with my kid. One of my kids came in with me a kayak and we had a fishing pole and we went out on the lake and I said, all right, we're just going to hang out here, buddy, and, and just drop, drop your line. We're just going to sit in the kayak by ourselves in the middle of the lake and uh, we've got to wait, so just drop it. We have two lines. We're just hanging out. Ten minutes later, I look up and we're at least 20 knots. I don't know what a knot is. We're at least... 200 yards away from where we were previously. Well, I didn't even know what's happening. I didn't feel any wind. I didn't sense anything. I look up. That's what it means to drift. To be maybe even so myopic on something that you're unaware that your whole life is being uprooted and you're taking somewhere else that you didn't really sign up for. And he's saying, no, no, no. Stay with the truth. But... We, as a people, always need to see those wedded together because some of us are really good at truth and harshness and some of us, others, are really good at love and cowardice. And he said, no, no, no. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. Why? Because if that person is in our body and they're drifting away from Jesus and his family, then I'm actually going to speak the truth to them because I love them. I'm not going to be harsh and say, you're an idiot. What are you thinking? No, I'm going to go to them and say, Jesus is better than whatever you're going after right now. Whatever your heart is pursuing, Jesus is better because he's actually pursued you and loves you more than that thing. Come back. So we're going to speak the truth and love to one another. Growing in every way into him who is the head. And so I'll finish with this quote from Paul Tripp. He says this, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's a low bar. But with pastor's kids, I'm about it, about it. <laughs> it's supposed to be funny. It is bigger than beautiful gardens. Nice vacations and fashionable clothes. In reality, you're part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transforming them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. Read that last part. And he wants you to be a part of it. That's the point of Ephesians 4. And he wants you to be a part of it. The spoils of war were gifted to us because he wants us to be a part of it. He, he doesn't want you to spectate and watch one gardener do a lot of work. He wants you to be a part of the growth in Laurel. And he wants you to be a part of the growth in Oliver. And he wants you to be a part of the growth in Johannes, and he wants you to be a part of the growth in Hannah. Why? Because we're a family. We're ligaments. We're a body together with Jesus as our head. So with that information, I'm going to show up wanting to serve. I'm going to show up like it's Christmas. I'm going to show up knowing my gifts, ready to give gifts. Why? Because I want your good. I want your growth. I want us to all collectively have a clearer 
picture of sending out, a clear picture like on the TV screen of our church, a clear picture of who Jesus is because we are maturing more and more into his likeness together. Let's pray. Father, I pray, I ask, I beg you, Spirit, to open our eyes to see the adventure, the game that you've called us to play. That we get to be a part of this <laughs> all-encompassing work of yours to reconcile all things to yourself and to purchase for your son a bride the church, and then to love her and woo her and change her and conform her into a more loving, gracious, kind, humble, serving people. Lord, I, I thank you for that, and I pray you continue to do in us. I pray you would unleash gifts where there was cowardice and trepidation, hesitancy. I pray that you set people free to step into this and actually exercise this. To get in on the game and to play and to help. Knowing like all of us that anything new we're usually bad at and it's okay. But being so compelled by this vision of what you're doing in us, Lord, I pray that we would all chip in. I'll shoulder this weight. I'll yearn for and pray for and work towards us growing more like Jesus. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.